I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. GameStop and Robinhood are back in the news, with hearings just last week covering a range of issues that not only touch on the fintech ecosystem, but arguably shake it to its core. From gamification, order flow routing, platform economics, and more, new questions are being raised about the efficacy and fairness of electronic trading infrastructures, especially for the unwary investor. And the heightened concern is reconfiguring the conversation on financial markets here in Washington. With the new energy and focus, I am thus delighted to have Dennis Kelleher here with me to help give us a sense as to where policymaking may be directed in the upcoming weeks. Now, Dennis is one of the most plugged in and important names here in Washington. As the founder and leader of the investor advocacy group, Better Markets, his views can not only drive fear into the heart of Wall Street, but they're also driving the conversation on Capitol Hill, especially on the most pressing topics concerning market abuse, risk, and the integrity of the financial system. Dennis, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be with you. You've been very involved in the discussions on market structure and GameStop, and you yourself testified on GameStop in February. Uh, can you give us a sense as to the backdrop heading into the conversation last week? And did you see or learn anything new? Well, yes. Let me take a step back. This is actually the third hearing being held by the uh, House Financial Services Committee under the chairmanship of Maxine Waters. And of course, your listeners will remember back in January, there was some trading frenzy connected to what are they called meme stop stocks with GameStop stock being in the forefront. And that particular stock, which was trading around 10 to 11, $13 last year, actually started climbing dramatically in January and had an intraday high of $498 when there was absolutely no fundamental economic basis for that. Now that happened for a lot of different reasons. Some people called it the Reddit rebellion where some new um, retail investors were using essentially a modern day chat room, not that different than the Yahoo chat rooms from the 1990s uh, to talk up stocks and talk about stops, stocks. But in this case, it's interesting because they wanted to execute a short squeeze because they felt that a bunch of big shot hedge fund billionaires on Wall Street were unfairly stomping down this little company. And therefore, they were going to drive the price up, force the shorts to cover um, their short positions and lose a lot of money. And they actually did that. At least one hedge fund was out about three billion bucks or something. In any event, it raised all sorts of complex issues about the conditions of the markets today and how retail traders are treated or not, how hedge funds and short sellers are regulated. And so uh, it got a lot of attention in the media. And of course, you know, this is exactly what um, congressional oversight committees should do, which is hold hearings. And that's what Chairman Maxine Waters has done. And there were three hearings. The first hearing were the principals involved actually in um, the stock run-up. So, for example, Robinhood, the retail broker, the CEO testified at that. Citadel Securities, which is 
the wholesale broker that like to call themselves market makers, but they're really just high frequency trading firms with a big book. Um, and others testified at the first hearing. The second hearing were a couple of professors who were specialists in psychology and gamification and investor advocates like me. That was on March 17th. And then the most recent hearing last Thursday um, were regulators. And it was the brand new chairman of the SEC, Gary Gensler, who was on the job all of about three weeks before he had to go testify. Uh, the head of FINRA, which is a self-regulatory organization, uh, and then separately DTCC, which is a big clearinghouse and a big infrastructure provider for the financial industry. And I think each one of those hearings provided actually a unique set of information because it's fascinating, but you know, this one event happened and each one of these hearings provided people with very different perspectives on the exact same set of events. So if you look at them as a series, you actually get a fairly broad and deep and to some extent unique views on what happened, you know, what was good, what worked, what didn't work, and what was bad from multiple different perspectives. So what then do you think we learned in the latest hearing and what do you think were the goals? I think people learned, uh, broadly speaking, the views of the new SEC chairman. Um, but we also learned, and this is also this is equally important, kind of the evolving views of the Congress people who sit on the committee, who themselves are moving up the learning curve here, just like the listeners are moving up the learning curve as to leverage, short selling, payment for order flow, gamification, capital liquidity requirements, risk management. So the good thing about these hearings isn't just that the it shines a bright light on these things so the public can pay attention, but it also moves Congress people and their staffs and other policymakers up the learning curve as well. And then because, of course, there are certain people saying, oh, bunches of things went wrong and bunches of things need to be fixed. Well, people have to come to some consensus about what was wrong, if anything was wrong. And then even if you get a consensus on what was wrong, it's, as you know, Chris, really hard to get a consensus on how you fix something that's wrong. Never mind develop the political will to get the consensus fix actually implemented. And of course, that happens in a couple of different ways. It could be a legislative fix. It could be a regulatory fix. Um, unfortunately, in today's Washington, uh, there will be no legislative fixes for anything because the House and the Senate are virtually equally divided. That means no meaningful legislation will be passing the Congress of the United States except through reconciliation, and that's not going to cover these topics. What that really means is all the action is going to be at the regulatory agencies, and that's why last Thursday's hearing was so incredibly important. Wow, that's really a wonderful recap there. So just following that thread forward, especially your initial point, do you think that either leading up to the hearings or in the wake of them, that there is then in fact a consensus about where things went wrong or where the vulnerabilities lie, especially for retail investors? But sure. You know, um, I think it's almost impossible to get a consensus on either what the problems are or what the fix are from a legislative point of view. Anybody who uh, watched the hearing uh, last Thursday or the prior hearings uh, will quickly see, unfortunately, 
that the Republicans come at this with a very, very pro-industry, nothing wrong here, nothing to see here, nothing to do here. And they trot out these tired, empty talking points that they've been using for decades. It's just Democrats wanting to over-regulate and their socialist agenda, just absolutely meaningless, um, empty phrases that they use regardless of the topic. On the other hand, you have Democrats who are actually, you know, for the most part, trying to understand what's going on. There's, that isn't to say there's a consensus among the Democrats on the committee uh, that there were things that were wrong or what they were or how you fix them. Um, there isn't even a consensus there. Oh, I think broadly speaking, there's some agreement that there's definitely room for legislative uh, attention. And indeed, I think uh, uh, Chairwoman Waters is going to propose a number of bills, which again, I think are good for focusing attention and getting people thinking and talking about the issues. Um, and she might even be able to get them through the House, but they will die quickly in the Senate where all legislation dies, um, given the nature of the split. And that really means, uh, the, as I said before, the action is going to be at the regulatory agencies primarily, but not exclusively, the SEC, um, but also, to some extent, I could do a pun and say derivatively, at the CFTC, which is the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and a little bit at some of the uh, prudential banking regulators who have oversight for a number of the players here. And of course, there is this thing that was created in Dodd-Frank that's potentially very powerful, called the Financial Stability Oversight Council, which is chaired by the Treasury Secretary and it has the members of all the financial regulatory agencies. Unfortunately, um, that was uh, essentially neutered under the Trump administration, and it's going to take some time for Secretary Yellen to decide what she's going to do with it and stand it up. And what that really means is the core of the action here is going to be the SEC. Right. So what does that mean in terms of concrete policy? The SEC is going to focus on a couple of key issues. Number one, gamification. Now, and very importantly, gamification is not democratization, no matter what Robin Hood's best purchased PR says. Gamification is exploitation. Gamification is meant to induce traders to trade as much as possible, as thoughtlessly as possible. And it is not fintech, it is not innovation, and it is not making, as the Robinhood CEO says, a delightful experience for our users. There are many ways to make finance more accessible through apps and through all sorts of very helpful features that actually enable many, many more Americans to participate in our financial system, to participate in our stock market, but it's done in a way that actually makes the appropriate level of thinking associated with investing people's hard-earned money, which has a significant risk of loss. Now, Robinhood is not interested in causing that type of behavior. Thoughtful investing after you're fully informed and you understand the risk of loss, they're interested in maximizing trading because that maximizes their, their income. And as you know, last year, Robinhood took in almost $700 million in payment for order flow from high-frequency trading firms like Citadel. And so I think the SEC, I don't think I know, the SEC is going to look very closely at gamification and the good 
parts of financial, you know, fintech and innovation, which is making much more accessible um, the financial markets to people while distinguishing from those features that are actually meant to disarm people. It's almost like the scandals of the 50s and 60s with subliminal advertising, where they're getting people to do things that are against their interest at a subconscious level. When you're investing your hard-earned money, we want you to engage your conscious thinking and invest and be smart and create wealth and grow your wealth, not lose your money to a bunch of predators. That's number one that they're going to look at. Number two, they're looking very closely at payment for order flow and the conflicts of interest created by payment for order flow. The SEC chairman was very smart about this today when he spoke which is you have to look at the entire trading ecosystem. Today, only about 53% of all stock trades go through what are called lit regulated exchanges, where there are transparent markets and you can see the bid and offers and they're heavily regulated in this investor protection. That means 47% is being done by dark markets. They're either dark pools, internalizes, high frequency trading uh, firms like Citadel, not only do those trades never get to the exchanges, they basically get handled, they get pocket vetoed. You know, they, the high frequency trading firms get to trade against their own book. And so that's bad for a lot of reasons because that generates rents, you know, excess profits coming from an area that's both dark and unregulated. Okay, could you maybe elaborate that point for our listeners who may be less familiar with the infrastructure here and and maybe talk about what the argument is about the possible conflicts of interest and, and what it means for retail investors? Because it can get a little complicated for the uninitiated. Sure. Let me break it down. But I will say first, it's, it is complicated, as you say. And we have produced a lot of materials on this on our website at www.bettermarkets.com. And people should go there. We have a fact sheet on payment for order flow. We actually created, I actually drafted some slides. You can see it pictorially how it works. Because it could really, uh, if you spend too much time on it, you know, it could induce insomnia. Um, but basically, payment for order flow is you have what I call retail brokers like Robinhood, TD Ameritrade, Schwab, what used to be called E-Trade, things like that. They, have, they deal with retail traders, and they have an obligation to provide those retail traders what's called best execution. Well, those retail traders don't actually execute the trades. The retail, the retail brokers um, actually take those trades and sell them. It's called order flow, customer order flow. Sell that order flow to high-frequency traders like Citadel, like Virtu, and a handful of others. And then those high-frequency trading firms first look at their own book to match those trades. And um, well over half of those trades get done internally through internalizers against their own book. Now, of course, in those circumstances, the retail trader, the customers of Robinhood, have no idea what happens to their order once they place their order with Robinhood. Now, Robinhood says, oh, well, we have commission-free trading, right? The problem with saying we have commission-free trading is most retail investors here free trading. 
And of course, we've argued to the SEC and others that claiming commission-free trading is itself false and misleading because a reasonable investor hears free trading. And all the Robinhood model has done is taken the visible upfront commission, the fee you're paying to trade, and moved it to, dis- to it's actually now invisible, it's behind Robinhood instead of in front of the retail trader who sees it come out of their pocket and pays it to Robinhood, it's disguised in secret and unknown in amount. And therefore, so they put a trade in for to buy, you know, 100 shares of company ABC. The next thing they see in their account is 100 shares of ABC, which is executed virtually simultaneously. That's good because it's done quickly. The problem is they have no idea how much they were ripped off. And I can tell you, if Robinhood was paid $700 million last year for the, its clients' order flow, and the HFT firms like Citadel made billions, the Robinhood money and the HFT firm money came out of the pockets of the retail investors. And it's that payment for order flow from the HFT firms like Citadel to Robinhood, which benefits solely from maximizing trading not creating wealth, not good buys, bad buys, diversification, just trading. And the retail investor has no idea. And that's why the payment for order flow creates a conflict of interest between the retail broker Robinhood and the retail trader, when Robinhood actually has a duty to the retail trader, but it also has a duty arguably to its shareholders and owners to maximize their revenue. So payment for order flow is going to be on the top of the SEC's list and those conflicts of interest, which cannot be cured by disclosure. You know, this saying, oh, a little more disclosure here, a little more disclosure there. We know for decades of study that disclosure is an inadequate remedy. It is necessary, but not sufficient. Well, I do know disclosure is on the agenda in other areas, so maybe you can give us a quick rundown on what you think they are and some of the other issues the agency may tackle. Some of the other things they're going to do at the SEC is short selling and dealing with short selling. Right now, the disclosure is only by a slice of the market participants. It's 45 days old when they have to disclose it. And it only barely requires much at all. And so it has to be more disclosure, everybody who's on the short side, disclosure on securities lending, and disclosure whether or not you're short through your ownership or through a beneficial ownership or economic interest in the particular securities. Um, And so that's a couple of things. There's other things, there's capital liquidity requirements, the consolidated audit trail, Um, best execution, forced arbitration, all of which were addressed in the hearing last week. And there were some pretty clear indications from from the new SEC chairman as to what he's thinking about these things. And I think you're going to see some real movement on a number of these things in the coming months. I want to end on one last point, really just circling back to an observation you made earlier on gamification because of the disclosure issue. Um, You know, when you think about it, the conversation about gamification and like, it's no longer about just platform economics, but it's also about platform psychology, where you have people drawn in um, through uh, gamification and and, and lower fees or or no fees and and possibly making uh, hundreds of trades a day and, and 
Certainly some people have even called it an addiction. Um, this, I think, puts the SEC in a really interesting spot. I mean, it it is really a disclosure agency and, and an enforcement agency. Um, are there tools at the SEC's disposal to really adequately address issues like this? And, and do they even have the authority to do so? You know, we believe there are, and we have, uh, you know, talked to the SEC quite extensively and other regulators about this. You can always use more authority if you're a regulator, but the the regulators today, including in particular the SEC, have ample authority to address all these issues. Now, can they address all of them perfectly, even if they could theoretically? Probably not, but can they address them more than adequately? Absolutely under existing authorities, every one of these issues, because fundamentally, Chris, this is about investor protection, fair markets, and capital formation. And we haven't even talked about capital formation, but many of these aspects of rigged markets actually damages capital formation and allocation. So the lit markets now where you do your IPO, the spreads are much wider than they should be. The liquidity is much lower than it should be. You have all this wealth extraction going on and all this created complexity that's sucking up all this um, you know, f- investor flow, all of which means if you want to access the capital markets because you're an entrepreneur, you're a Main Street business, you want to grow, then you're paying more. So you have a harder time getting capital, raising capital, and you're paying more for it. If we got rid of many of these wealth extraction activities, which we should, we would make our public markets much more efficient. And actually it would cost, the cost of capital would go down, which would benefit everybody. And I wanna make one last point, which people overlook. And that is the SEC is a disclosure agency, but it's an enforcement agency. And we need to get the SEC cops back on the Wall Street beat. We've had four years of the SEC being AWOL. And I just had an op-ed in The Hill last week where we detailed exactly how they can actually punish and deter crime and finance. And until we do that, even if you get your rules right, it's not going to have the impact if you don't get the enforcement right. So you have to do both. It's not one or the other. And we're hopeful that the new regime under the new SEC chairman and under the Biden administration will tackle these on a comprehensive basis and start standing up again for investors, markets, and Main Street families and businesses. Dennis, you know, you've devoted your life to these issues and you deserve a lot of respect for it. And I I really appreciate you hopping on the show. Thanks so much. Thank you, Chris. Good to be with you. Indeed, this was a big week here in Washington, and though it may seem on the periphery of topics like crowdfunding, cryptocurrencies, or cloud computing, the GameStop saga raises issues that, for all their technological novelty or complexity, strike at the core of market concerns that go back nearly a century. They raise questions concerning the integrity of markets, uh, transparency for the little guy, and investor protection. Now, what this all means when you throw in things like gamification, high-frequency trading, and short-selling isn't entirely clear. But as Dennis has passionately argued today, the fireworks are likely just getting started. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.